Amen. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, everyone. Can we uh, put our hands together and thanks for God one more time for all he has done. Thank you. <clears throat> it never ceases to amaze me. I, I am amazed by I mean, if it takes guts for anyone of all ages to stand up in front of 550, 600 people, but I mean, for the teenagers to stand up and to articulate so much of who God is and what he's done in your lives, I think from heaven that God is speaking words of well done over all of you this morning. I need a day like this, and I'll tell you why, because it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, just the chaos and the evil and the troubles of life and how our bills going to be paid and things that are happening all over the world. And to have a day where we celebrate for a little while what God is doing in the here and now, I think is so important for my own heart and for the life of the church. Uh, I kept gravitating for weeks. I, I, I was... I always look forward to this day, and I wanted to end the book of Jonah, our six-week study in the book of Jonah today, because I think all that we celebrated today informs the end of Jonah, and Jonah informs what we've celebrated today. Uh, but in preparation, I just kept gravitating towards places in Scripture like Isaiah 63, 7 that say stuff like this. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Because if we are not careful, our language of God becomes language that is past tense and future tense, of what God did years ago and what God will do in the very end, but we don't have much language of what God is doing in the here and now. And Hebrews declares that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't want us to get caught up in thinking that God did really cool stuff in the past and God's going to do some really cool stuff in the future again when all things are brought to fulfillment. But God, we aren't really sure what God is doing now. And I think a day like this is so good for the health of our own souls, for our hearts, for the heart of this church to be able to acknowledge that what God has done in the past, God is still doing in the present. And what we celebrate today is what God will bring to fulfillment one day. Um, we, we need events. The scripture is full of events. And uh, I mean, from Jamie to uh, Jeremy, everyone who spoke this morning touched my heart. And I took little nuggets from, from all of you. Uh, Demetrius, the picture of you posing, scraping, did y'all see that? Like, dude, you were like posing for the front cover of GQ, man. I mean, it was like this, this great pose. But Taylor, what you said about how you wanted all the events of the summer to change how you live every day is the message I try to give teenagers when I speak in front of them, at the, especially at the end of summers, is because if we're not careful, we start to think that God is an event-driven God and not the God of the ordinary. Early on, four years in the youth group for me, my idea of God was that God was, like God was on Red Bull when it came to church camp, mission trip, youth rallies, and youth retreats that God showed up big at those places. But mid-August, God like took some NyQuil and went on cruise control through the school year. And every once in a while, that God would come up throughout the school year at youth rallies and youth retreats and at the first half of lock-ins, not the second half of lock-ins, because God's not there, but the first half of lock-ins, that God would do big stuff then. But throughout the school, is like, man, can, can we just get on cruise control until we can get to the events again? And what I want us to acknowledge is, is that God who met some of you on the mountaintop of the wilderness trek is the same God of the ordinary Monday. That the God who did things for some of you in Panama is the God who is in the Thursday afternoon traffic with you people. Like he's everywhere 
doing amazing things. And a day like this, I think, helps raise up the filters inside of us, bring these to life so that we can acknowledge what God is doing. Um, now, throughout Scripture, and let me give you a heads up. Next week, I'm going to jump into a, an eight-week study of the Beatitudes. I've been so excited for over a year to preach through these with you. So next Sunday, when you come, we're going to start a study of Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. I want you to go home and read it. Uh, it's a series that we're going to call Alter. It's about changing a direction, modifying the direction of your life. And in the Beatitudes, you find these statements of Jesus, like, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are small, who are pure in heart. You find these phrases of Jesus that are about restoration, redemption, identity. It's, it's words that Jesus, words of blessing he speaks over people. So go home and study it. And I also want to encourage you to bring someone to church next Sunday. Just, what are you going to lose? Just asking and inviting someone to come. Pray for God to raise up someone in your life who you can invite and trust that the worship that we have here and how we seek God witnesses to people who are in need of a touch of God. So I encourage you to read Matthew 5, bring a friend to church next Sunday. And I think this, is, this all flows together for me, all right? Because the Beatitudes comes in the Sermon on the Mount, which was a great event in a sermon Jesus preached years ago. But the Sermon on the Mount didn't end with how great was that event, how great was the time that we got to go up on a mountain with Jesus. It ends with those who put into practice how you've encountered God or those who, uh, who have the solid foundation in their lives. It's that the event teaches us about the mission. Because I, I think we've heard this morning of mission trips that have gone right. And I don't know if you've ever had a mission trip that's gone wrong or not. Where like food poisoning broke out, or you misconnecting flights, and none of the plans worked out. Because the book of Jonah, in some ways, is about a mission trip that went right for God and for others, but you hardly ever see the life of Jonah that changes. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to bring the end of Jonah to a close in 13 minutes. So I want you to hang on tight, take good notes. All right, write things down. I want to give you some nuggets. I just want to believe this morning that God's going to touch someone's heart through how Jonah 4, this odd, awkward ending to a book, how it all comes to, uh, comes to an end. Uh, because for Jonah, it was a mission trip that went wrong. It went right for God and right for others. But as you read Jonah, all right, God delivers him from a fish. Uh, God saves 120,000 people within a very short period of time. Yet at no point do you see like gratitude flowing from the life of Jonah or transformation or excitement or, or any, anything in his heart that has changed. He, he remains angry. He doesn't understand the ways of God. Uh, so, so even when it comes to the end of Jonah, the, he's, he, it ends with him being angry. And I can't help as I read Jonah and as I preach Jonah, why at some point did God not like, flip the script and go with another prophet? Why did God not say, okay, enough with you. I'm going to raise up someone else. And maybe because how Jonah ends is supposed to bring some word of comfort to someone here that if God's going to stick with Jonah, to be the messenger of his salvation to the world? What have you done in your past that would keep God from using you too today? Um, so it's this book about knowing God, but not doing what it is we know we're supposed to do for God. Because mission trips and the mission of God is supposed to form the character of God inside of us. And if the character of God is not being formed in you, then it should be an indicator that maybe you are not investing in the mission of God. 
So after all God did, the last we hear from Jonah is in Jonah chapter 4, verse 9. This is the last thing we hear from this guy. It's, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, the last word we get from Jonah in this whole book, yes, I am angry enough to die. This guy is so full of anger that he doesn't want to be freed from it. He is so full from anger, he doesn't want to change of heart. He's so full from anger, it's hard for him to see how the unfolding plan of God is coming right in front of him. He is so full of anger, there's no desire for change or to be swept up in something new that God is doing. Has that ever happened in your life? Where you find yourself being overtaken by anger, it's hard for you to catch a vision of what God is doing. And it ends in verse 10, what God says is, the Lord said, are you concerned? about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. You didn't create it. You didn't bring it into being. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And there's that phrase right there. You are concerned about the bush. It's like you are so concerned to the point that this is consuming you and it's keeping you from seeing the, all that God is doing. And I wonder if in your life, if God were to speak that phrase, you are concerned about and it wasn't the bush, but you are concerned about how would God fill in the blank if he was speaking to you in your life? You are so concerned right now about how a bill is going to be paid this week, but you are forgetting that I am the one who created the world, who sustains the world. I can care for you. You are so concerned about what's going to happen to the future of your children that it's robbing you of the joy of the Lord, which therefore is having a major impact on the kind of mother or father you are. You are so concerned about what's going to happen in November that it's keeping you from seeing how God is breaking out and spreading His steadfast love all over the world right now in August. You're so concerned about the bush, but you forgot who has created the world, who has saved the world, who is moving in the world. Here's the reality, all right? When it comes to the book of Jonah, um, I, I, I feel like the closer I get to God, the more I want messy church. Like the more, the closer I get to God, the more I am good with things being kind of messy. Uh, because the more I get closer to God, the closer I get to God, the more I see that God's often moving us out of the comfortable into his mission, which is often messy. Um, but the truth and the reality sometimes in my own life and in the church is sometimes I think the world would be less messy if God would simply come with one breath and destroy every hardcore sinner who has no desire for Jesus instead of calling his church to enter into broken places, to be conduits and people who carry God's message of salvation to hardcore sinners who are in desperate need of Jesus. Jonah wanted God to protect what was God's and what was good. Jonah wanted God to protect the people of Israel, the people who had been in the plan of God for years, the people who celebrated the plan of God. And Jonah knew that the enemy of God had not been destroyed yet, that God was postponing his judgment. The enemy wasn't to be saved. The enemy was to be destroyed. Jonah was going along with a lot of what he read in Scripture of how God takes care of his own, and then all of a sudden he preaches a message, and God chooses to save those that were Israel's enemies. And Jonah doesn't get it because God did a new thing. And sometimes when God does a new thing, the people who've been in on the old thing don't want the new thing because we're comfortable with the old thing. And when the progression of God begins leading us into a new way, 
it's so hard for the people of God to want to cling to the old way. Because surely Jonah had read, like way back in Genesis with Abraham, God had said, you were going to be the father of many nations. But this wasn't going to happen overnight. There was this progression. But so many people couldn't hear that because they went through and they heard stories about how the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon was when the people of God were on top of the world. But now there's this new thing where God's going to let people who weren't of Israel be grafted into the story of God to receive a salvation, to be a part of the community. So you have places like Isaiah chapter uh, 66, how Isaiah ends. And I'm sure some people read this and were like, oh, hold up, Isaiah. This isn't a good ending to your book. When Isaiah is talking about foreigners coming into Israel, and what he says is, this is, this is how Isaiah ends. 66 chapters. Here's how it ends. In, in verse 20, they shall bring all your kindred, all these foreigners, from all the nations as an offering. Um, And they're going to come on um, uh, horses and chariots and wagons and mules and camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring a grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And I will also take some of them as priests and Levites. Now, not only is this new thing of God going to be that foreigners are brought into this community, but those foreigners are going to become leaders of the community the people who declare the wonders of God. So I think some of the good news of Jonah is stuff like this. If God is willing to save Ninevites, who in this world will God not save? And Jonah ends with this, chapter 4, verse 11. It's one of the most bizarre endings in all of Scripture. Got it up on the screen. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? And that's the end. And I read that all the time. And I think for a while I read it and I started flipping. I was like, man, somebody tore a page out of my Bible, all right? Because what kind of ending is that? So what happens from there? It's almost like the ending of the prodigal son, that the father is with the older son outside of the party that's being thrown for the younger son in Luke 15, and that's how the story ends. And I'm like, Jesus, so what happens from there? Did, they, did the older brother come into the party? Like, what happened? I think Acts 28 kind of ends like this too, where it just leaves you hanging, almost like this to be continued. And I think this is a genius move on the part of God because Jonah's story becomes our story. And what's the 21st century church going to do with the story of Jonah? When we find ourselves seeing God doing a new thing among us, and I think it ends the way it does because we're left to think, are we going to join in this story that is messy and sometimes confusing, but we're going to follow God wherever God is leading, or are we going to sit in the bush not doing anything because God's doing something that we would rather God not do? You know, when I think about the story of Jonah, Jonah is selfish. But I don't think that's the key to this book. I think one thing we take from here is this. Jonah could not believe that God's grace was was as good as advertised. And to Jonah, God's grace offended him. And I think it should offend us too. That when we catch a glimpse of the grace of God and the fullness of that grace... It is to be celebrated, embraced, and carried to the ends of the earth. 
that when the grace of God takes full effect in you and me, it doesn't just like pet us in our sin, telling us we're okay. It calls us out of our sin and into freedom to carry that grace to the ends of the earth. Um, So with that, what are we going to do with the end of Jonah? And may it call you to see and to follow God in the Monday and Tuesday, just as it is how we see God and the big things God does among us. I want to ask our shepherds, if you will, go to your places today. We have shepherds who will be up front and shepherds who will be in the back to receive you today for prayer. If there's anything we can do for you, if someone has been so moved by God and you've, you've seen people declare the wonders of God and you've never made a decision for Jesus and today you've been touched, uh, we invite you to the front or find one of these people standing around because we would love to teach you more about him. And as a church, can we stand together and let's sing this song.